You are listening to the Hope Church Weekly Message Podcast. Hope Church is located in Cleveland, Texas and meets on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Pastor Todd and the preaching team desire for this message to bring life in a dark world. For more information about Hope Church, visit HopeChurchCleveland.com. What God is doing at Hope Church in Cleburne, the testimony is really spread across our district. And we know God has more and more and more in store. So thank you, Pastor Todd, for your leadership. Really, thank you. We're going to hand out to you three items. You can call them tokens or whatever. The first is a piece of denim. You're going to receive a piece of denim like this, a small square of denim. And then the ushers are going to hand you Velcro which is actually, as you know, two pieces that come together. And then the third thing that they're going to hand you is a chocolate chip cookie that was made freshly yesterday and its own package. Now, please don't eat the cookie right away, but you may eat it if it's okay with your pastor during the sermon. Let me ask you, what do these three things have in common Well, I can ask you that question, but the chances are you won't know what a piece of denim, a piece of Velcro, and a chocolate chip cookie have in common, but I'm going to tell you, because that's going to be the foundation of our message, all three of these things were created because of a problem. All three of these things exist today because of an obstacle that someone faced in their life. Let me talk about denim. First of all, 1870s, a guy named Jacob Davis was a tailor in Reno, Nevada. And one day a lady came into his shop complaining about how quickly her husband's pants wore out as he was working in the mines. And the tailor had noticed that people would come after their pants would get holes worn in the knees in the seat and they would buy canvas And they would sew that canvas to reinforce the pants. So when this lady came in complaining, he had an idea. I think I'll make a pair of what they called waist overalls at the time. I think I'll make a pair of those out of this heavy denim because it's thicker than the material they were using. Well, he made this pair of waist overalls for this Man, and they were an immediate hit. Customers began coming in his tailor shop saying, I want a pair of those waist overalls made out of that blue denim. Well, this gentleman didn't have the ability to keep up with demand, so he reached out to a guy named Levi Strauss. You ever heard that name before? And Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis became partners and created what we know as Levi's. The problem was, Actually, there wasn't a heavy-duty enough material for miners, and out of that obstacle, the creative juices, I'll call that, began to create Levi's. Stand up if you own a pair of Levi's. Wranglers or any. Stand up if you own a pair of jeans. Just stand up if you own a pair of jeans. I didn't mean brand-specific. But I appreciate your honesty. You, you know, actually, you may be seated. You can go anywhere in the world and people know what blue jeans are. And it came out of an obstacle. That's interesting. Velcro. Some of you may have known the story of Velcro. Raise your hand if you've ever used Velcro before. Now, I'm going to ask you just to be honest. Raise your hand if you've ever just had fun tearing it apart and putting it back together. 
Just something, that's almost therapeutic, isn't it? It's just really great. Velcro, 1950s, George de Mestral, a Swiss engineer, noticed that when he returned from hiking or hunting, that cockleburs would cling to his clothes and to his dog's fur. So this guy would go out hunting, hiking in, the, in Switzerland, and he would come in, and there'd be cockleburs stuck to his clothes and to his dog's fur. And he couldn't figure out why these things stick so well. So he began to look under a microscope, and he noticed that these cockleburs had all these little tentacles, and on the end of every one was a little hook. And that little hook caused it to, to embed and stick to the little pieces of fabric in the, do, in the dog's fur. So he began to think, if that, now that's, a, that's an obstacle, right? You get cockleburs in your fur of your animals or cockleburs. How many of you ever got cockleburs in your socks or your clothes? I mean, they really are hard to get out. But he thought, if that can be so effective, I wonder if I can create something that would actually serve a useful purpose. And so over eight years, he began to experiment and develop and perfect the invention, which, as we know, consists of two strips of nylon. One has the little hooks on them. That's the, the typically the rough part. If you were to look at that under a microscope or maybe a, heavy, uh, maybe a magnifying glass, you could see there's a little hook on the, each end of those. And this is the loops that put it together. Do you know they actually use Velcro on the space shuttle? Actually, somebody took the same concept of Velcro and created a metal fastener. Now, you're not going to believe this, but hang on. Created a metal fastener that, when put together, will hold 35 tons per square meter. 35 tons, that's 70,000 pounds per square meter. That's about a square yard because of an obstacle that a man faced and he turned it into an opportunity. Everybody say obstacle. Everybody say opportunity. And thirdly, the chocolate chip cookie. This is the sweetest part of the illustration. In 1930, while making cookie dough at an inn where she worked, Ruth Wakefield ran out of powdered baker's chocolate. Your pastor didn't get a cookie. No one has a cookie yet. Okay, they're coming. Ruth Wakefield ran out of baker's chocolate, that powdered cocoa. So she looked to see what she had and what she could substitute. And she, what she did have were, uh, was a semi-sweet chocolate bar. And so she broke that up into pieces, thinking that when I put it in the dough and bake it, it would actually mix with the dough and make chocolate cookies. But to her surprise, when they came out of the oven, that chocolate didn't disperse among the dough. It held together. But the cookies were an immediate hit and sensation and she created the most what became the most popular cookie in the world we know it as the toll house chocolate chip cookie an obstacle not having the right ingredients became an opportunity to create something new that now the whole world knows about levi's velcro and chocolate chip cookies can i tell you this concept is not lost on Scripture. You, you may eat the cookie while I'm speaking. Go right ahead. Just don't smack, okay? Just don't smack. I believe because we are believers in Jesus Christ, 
who is God, the creator of the universe, created everything we see. God created the very things that these little inventions or products were that what they came out of. I believe we're in a unique position as believers because the most creative being in the universe lives in us through the Holy Spirit. Scripture, Acts 1.8. You know, we call it the Acts of the Apostles. We really could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. I'm going to lay the foundation here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of of the earth. You probably know this passage of scripture. Here's the problem. The church had taken no action to fulfill what was spoken in Acts 1:8. This is part of the great commission that Jesus gave the church. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But if you go to Acts chapter 8 verse 1, now, we had 1-8, but now you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out. How many of you think persecution is an obstacle? Come on, it is. A great persecution broke out against the church and Jerusalem. And all except the apostles, that's important, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria. What did Acts 1-8 say? You're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. The obstacle of persecution comes, we read in chapter 8, and against their will, they're scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And if you go on and read, it says those that were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So persecution, the obstacle of persecution became an opportunity for preaching the gospel. Now, I want to give you three stories from the book of Acts. There's a lot more than that, but three biblical examples of God turning an obstacle into an opportunity, and then we're going to see what God's going to do in your life with the obstacles you face. Acts chapter 4, 3. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, time in prison became a platform for the declaration of Jesus Christ. Now, we would all agree that being in prison is an obstacle. No one signs up for that, right? Acts chapter 4, verse 3, we find that they are thrown in prison because they were preaching the gospel, because they would not cease speaking in the name of Jesus. I don't know what you would do if you were found yourself in prison, but first of all, I would be tempted to have a pity party. Don't look at me like that. Come on. You would too, and you know it. But I hope that once I got past the pity party, that maybe I would have enough to say, God, use this for your glory. Use this for your good. There's a man named Richard Wormbrandt. Some of you may have heard of him. He was a Romanian, and he was a pastor. And in times of communism in Romania, he refused. I'm going to share two stories about Romania today. We've had ministry there for many years. But he refused to stop preaching the gospel. And they threw him in prison again and again and again. And when he was in prison, he determined that this obstacle would not prevent him from doing what God had called him to do. So he began to preach and pastor the people in prison. And one day someone asked him, 
What does Jesus look like? Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. If somebody asked you, what does Jesus look like? I don't know what you would say. I would say, well, he was a good man. Jesus, he was supernatural. Uh, He was the son of God. Uh, Jesus, he raised people from the dead. He went about doing good, the Bible says. There are a lot of things I could say, but in that situation, in that circumstance, Richard Wormbrandt said, what does Jesus look like? He looks like me. You see, that's what a Christian is, is a little Christ. The truth is, is that everyone should be able to look at you and see Jesus. And we think, wait a minute, I don't want to, that, that's, that's being, I'm not that important. It's not about you, it's about Jesus in you. And when I hear that this obstacle being thrown in prison, Richard Wormbrandt used that as an opportunity to preach and declare the gospel. And when he said, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, look at me. I am challenged and convicted that God, I've not really faced any real obstacles in my life. Not like that. But if you can turn that into an opportunity, you can do the same in my life. Is that right? Say amen. Second example, Acts 4.13. Peter and John, these were not educated men. The Bible tells us they were not educated men. As a matter of fact, when the reports of what they were doing were being shared among the religious leaders, they even said, these, where did these men learn this? They're not educated men. How many of you know that a lack of education can be an obstacle? Is that true in our day and age? Sure it is. It can be an obstacle to get a job. It can be an obstacle in being able to function in a certain level. It can be an obstacle. Well, it was an obstacle for these men, Peter and John. They did not have an education like other people did. But God took that obstacle and used it as an opportunity because uneducated people don't trust in themselves. Uneducated people don't trust in their intellect. They don't trust in their understanding. They have an ability, this opportunity to trust in God. I love the songs we were singing this morning about miracles, about hopeless situations ceasing to exist, about we need to move. Jesus, when you walk in the room, everything changes. I love all of that. It's all true. And these men that we see in Acts chapter 4, 13, their minimal education became an opportunity for God's mighty acts. You see, that lack of education didn't keep God from doing what he wanted to do. But it could have kept Peter and John from doing what God wanted to do, but they didn't allow it. And as a matter of fact, we see that God used them to perform this undeniable miracle. If you were to go to China, you would probably hear about a young lady. I'm sorry that I don't have her name. She is an uneducated peasant. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, a peasant. I guess that's kind of like a redneck, which, which I am, by the way. I'm a redneck. Through and through, I'm a redneck. But this peasant girl has no education, but she hasn't let that obstacle keep her from doing what God has wanted her to do. And she has written over, is it a thousand? She's written over a thousand worship hymns and choruses that are being sung all across the continent of China by the underground church. And some of us 
get so beat up because we lack education or we lack this or we face this obstacle that we let the devil keep us down. And God says, it's time to break free from that. Let's turn that obstacle into an opportunity. Are you following me this morning? Acts chapter, let me go to the third one. Acts chapter four, verse 18. The obstacle we find is oppression. It becomes an opportunity for obedience. Oppression becomes an opportunity for obedience. You see, when you face oppression, when you face trial by fire, you get to make a decision. Every one of us get to make a decision. When we're intimidated or when fear comes. By the way, you know, you can't have courage unless fear is present. But when those things happen, what we see in the scripture is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I hope you get that, that's the key, through the power of the Holy Spirit. None of these people did this in their own strength. None of them did it because of their training. None of them did it because of their status. None of them did it because of their genealogy. None of them did it because of whatever. They did it because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, they, they threatened these guys. They said, you need to stop speaking in the name of Jesus or we're going to throw you in jail again. We're going to beat you. We're going to torture you. But they refused to be silent. I was on a train in Romania several years ago. There was a gentleman in, in the Romanian trains. They have little compartments. And, um, and so you try to find one that's not too packed and you sit down. And I sit down and there's a gentleman sitting. The, the seats face each other. It's very awkward socially. I mean, you're face-to-face with somebody, and your knees are almost touching. Uh, as Americans, we would not like that at all. It would violate your personal space. But sitting across from me was an older gentleman, and, and he had a jacket on, a kind of a suit, and I noticed he had a little cross on his lapel, which is a little unusual in Romania because it's really not a Christian nation at all. And I'd learned a couple of phrases, and one thing you can say to a believer in Romania that only the believers say is pace, which is their word for peace. And so I said to him, pace, frate, which is peace, brother. And he returned the greeting and said, pace, frate. And I said to du vorbest inglese, which means do you speak English? And I'm hoping he does because that's all the Romanian I know, those two phrases. And he said, yes, I do. And we introduced ourselves, and he said, uh, I am Peter Dugalescu. And all of a sudden, my countenance changed because I'd never met this man, but I knew who he was. You see, Peter Dugalescu was oppressed, threatened again and again, and faced jail time again and again because he refused to stop preaching the truth of the gospel. He is known as a national hero all across Romania because even when this man, at his own peril, he refused to stop preaching the gospel. As a matter of fact, when the Rev, you may not know, Romania was under communism for 40, 50 years, a horrible, oppressive, one of the worst oppressive communist nations. And when the revolution began to take place and they began to really shout for freedom, what most people don't realize is that started in the church. You see, there was a, a Hungarian church that had a pastor that they loved. Don't you love your pastor? And they love their pastor too. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, I think you can do better, and I'll give you a chance. Don't you love your pastor? Come on. 
I can tell you are loved, Pastor Todd. And the communist government thought this man was speaking too much, and they wanted to move him. So they sent the secret police over to move him to a different church. But when they showed up, there were several thousand people blocking the church. Said, we don't want you to take our pastor. What gives you the right to take our pastor? We want him to stay here. Then other believers began to hear about it, and thousands more came. Eventually, there were 40, 50, 60 thousand people gathered around this Hungarian church keeping the military and the secret police but of course at one point they opened fire on this crowd and people began to lose their lives but Peter Dugalescu they asked him to come when these tens of thousands began to gather and he stood on the balcony looking at this broad crowd he's telling me this story as we're seated in this train and he said brother I looked out and I thought What can I tell these people? What can I say to them? We are risking our lives. They're risking their lives. And then he said, I remembered. Maybe they could say the Our Father. That's what they call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. He said, so I just said to the crowd, if you remember the Our Father, would you kneel on your knees and say it with me? And he said, I was in total shock as tens of thousands of people got down on their knees and began to recite in Romanian, our Father who art in heaven. Keep in mind, this was still a communist nation. They were surrounded by the security, the securitate, which was an evil enforcement. They were police that were like the Secret Service gone bad, you know. And he said, I'll never forget what God did, and through that, freedom came. It's amazing when you begin to look at the Bible, when in the book of Acts, how obstacles become opportunities. I'm going to go quickly. Stay with me. Acts chapter 3, a lack of money led to an opportunity for a miracle. Anybody here ever lack for money? It's an opportunity for a miracle. Acts chapter 4, persecution led to prayers for boldness. Acts chapter 5, hypocrisy. Ananias and Sapphira died. How many think people being struck dead because they lied in church is an obstacle? But it became an opportunity for God to establish holiness among his people. Acts chapter 6, a problem with widows' distribution became way for men of wisdom to serve. Acts chapter 6 again, Stephen, false accusations turned into a faith lesson. Chapter 8, let me just (laughs) a desert marathon became a destined mission strip. If you feel like you're wandering in the desert, it may be that God's got someone on that path that you need to talk to. You see, when Philip left and he was in the middle of the desert, he shared with the Ethiopian eunuch that took the gospel to Africa. Acts chapter 10, a boundary tradition became an opportunity to show boundless love. 12, Peter in prison turned into an opportunity for an all-night, the first recorded all-night prayer meeting, I believe. Acts chapter 13, resistance from Jews created an opportunity for Gentiles to respond. 14, fear of harm turned to a field of ministry. 15, conflict over circumcision, clarified beliefs. 1536, misunderstanding over John Mark created the first division of foreign missions. I know you don't get that. That's okay. Demon harassment for divine deliverance. Acts chapter 16, prison became a praise service. And Acts chapter 27, attempt to storm became a testimony of God's miracle working power. Here's the thing. You're the same New Testament church that we read about in the book of Acts. 
You have the same Holy Spirit living in you. The same God of all creation breathing his creativity through the Holy Spirit into your life. I don't know what obstacle you're facing today. I have other stories, but I'm not going to get into those. I don't know what obstacle you're facing today, but here's what I know. God wants to use that obstacle and turn it into an opportunity, maybe for a healing, maybe for the greatest miracle you've ever seen, maybe for a divine, uh, a divine appointment with someone you haven't crossed paths with. Here's what I know. God is with you as you face this obstacle. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's emotional health. I don't know. I could list them all, but I probably couldn't list them all. But the the Lord knows. Now, let me give you three principles quickly. Here's three things to help you turn obstacles into opportunities. Number one, look for God's perspective in the situation. But we see through man's eyes easy, but we've got to learn to see what God sees. So ask God, God, show me your perspective. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see what you haven't seen before. Seek the Lord for the hidden opportunity. Hear me. Every obstacle you face in that obstacle is a hidden opportunity. I don't think you heard me. Every obstacle you face within that is a hidden opportunity that you can't see in the natural, but you can in the spiritual. Number two, realize it is spiritual in nature. Resist the temptation to solve the problem in the natural. And to declare to those that there is a supernatural opportunity. Declare it. Stand in front of the mirror. God, my son and daughter-in-law are facing divorce. I don't know what... I don't know what the opportunity is in here, but there's an opportunity in this obstacle. And I declare this is spiritual and not physical. I declare, God, that you're at work even when I don't see you working. Here's the third thing. Mobilize prayer. So look for God's perspective. Realize it's spiritual and mobilize prayer. If you pray, get people to pray with you. How many of you have someone that you reached out to and said, I need you to pray with me? Have you ever done that? If you haven't done that, find somebody. Find a group. Contact your church's prayer team. Those that pray at the end of service. Reach out to them because you need prayer. 